This is a show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week is a new adventure with topics ranging from the most serious and cutting edge to the most lighthearted and entertaining. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Greetings, everyone. Richard Solomon and Antonio Sayant. This is Taking Care of Business and Rocket Green Radio. How are you? This this fine day, we have a wonderful guest. We have Lou Blaustein, who is greensportsblog.com, and we're going to talk about sustainability in sports. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I look forward to talking about uh, a topic, the greening of sports, that needs a lot more air, so it's great to be on your air. Well, thank you so much. So so how did you get involved in this? Because you know, sports is sort of everywhere, and yet what I notice, it's 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 like the least green of anything we do. <laughs> well, yep. It's, it, 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 it's, Except for the AstroTurf, it, you know, pun intended. Right. <laughs> right. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Like, the, I'll, I'll, I'll tell my story, uh, mm-hmm. hopefully uh, briefly, and then uh, you'll be surprised, I think, as to how much the sports world is greening. But um, my – so – so my two, it's, it's really, it's a marriage of my two passions, sports. Uh, I've been a sports nut since I was seven, and I always knew I wanted to work in sports, and I also knew back then that I wasn't a good athlete. So I wanted to be a sportscaster, and I tried that for a while, but hard, uh, couldn't make a, a, a full-time living of it. So then I went into the sports business, um, working in sports advertising, marketing, sponsorship sales for a couple of companies, one of which you've heard of, which is Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated for Kids. And so I was doing that and I was getting to go to the World Series and the World Cup and the NBA Finals and all of that. And it, it, it was, it was great. But in parallel, I was a lowercase e, I would call it environmentalist, meaning my passion for the environment, while strong, didn't rise to the level of sports, my sports passion. And then 9-11 happened. I'm a lifelong resident of the tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and was living in uh, Manhattan and working at Sports Illustrated for Kids at the time. And, and fortunately, just in my own personal sense, I didn't know anybody in the buildings, but it was something that changed everything and I felt like I had to do something and I got motivated it's going to sound hokey but by a, a column by the columnist Tom Friedman who writes in the New York Times and has written one Pulitzer Prizes for his books like the uh, uh, the world is flat and he wrote a column mm-hmm. about three months or four months after 9-11 saying green is the new red white and blue and the idea that um, we were, you know, 4% of the world's population, 25% of the world's energy use, and we were fueling the wars on terrorism, whatever you thought about them, by our profligate energy use. And it was like the compact fluorescent light bulb went on above my head, and I bought a hybrid car, I changed out all my light bulbs, I became almost a vegetarian, got rid of my car, and then I said, I gotta, I gotta do this with my work. So, um, and then I got motivated by climate change after that, and I be, but I became a sustainability consultant. 
in sales, marketing, and business development, what I had been doing in sports. So I've been doing that since 2005. About four or five years later, I thought, hey, is there an intersection of green and sports? And because I'm, you know, I poke around, I'm curious, and I found out that there was a nascent movement um, and a trade group called the Green Sports Alliance, which at that time, the beginning was for, of pro teams in Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver, not surprisingly very green area, that were thinking about how do we recycle more and what do we do about energy efficient lighting at the stadiums. And now that's grown to four or 500 teams and it's, it's the world over. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write a blog about this because that'll, at the beginning it was because that'll get me to meet people in this world and I'll get new consulting business, which that's happened. But then I found that I love to write and people love the way I wrote. So it's kind of built from there. It started in 2013, and now we're, and so now four four plus years into it. So, so that's the story. Do you get a lot of pushback? Because um, people tend to be set in their ways. So you know, uh, do, do you get pushback when you present ideas for change or, or, or innovation? Uh. I would say in the sports world, it's not so much pushback. It's, it's more that people are just unaware. And, uh, but there's, but I, I think maybe if, because I'm just writing about this stuff. So I'm writing about the story, the, the cool stories that are happening from, say, Ohio State University football, which is not in a green hotbed like Seattle or Boulder, let's say. It's in Columbus, Ohio, and they are a zero-waste stadium, which means they divert 90% or more of their waste from landfill via composting and and um, well, uh, recycling. But So that is happening, and I write about it. Now, if you're, yeah, un- so you're underlying doing- that question, does that mean is there – pushback amongst people kind of anti the green sports movement not really there may be because because most people don't know about it yet um that's uh, that's what i am trying to in a, in a way i would like there to be pushback because then there would be more people who knew about it, and it would, <laughs> but uh, so my so my 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 soul uh, kind of my main my main focus is to get through this blog to the extent that I can to get the green sports movement known and to get fans in the broad sense to to know that this is happening and to care about it. So that well, you, I don't well, know if you're I doing your just, question. Well, you're spreading basically positive change within the sports industry, but you use in the sports industry when they're being sustainable and they're going sustainable, you write about it and you hope that the audience just looks at it and says, wow, this is happening. And then they take it home with them and they teach their yeah. kids and it spreads a message all over the place, which is beautiful. There, there's, there's, that's, that's a big part of it. But I also do, um, you know, because I, I look at it as a journalistic site. So if there right. is greenwashing, let's say, which there has been some some 
uh, ev- some examples of that over the years that I've been doing this, I'll report on it. Also, what I will do, because, see, it's not, so I'm a, you know, I'm a relatively small but growing voice, but to me, where the rubber meets the road on this is, you know, it can be great that the Super Bowl is zero waste or that, uh, that there's solar panels on, on the, uh, on the roof at Fenway Park and many other stadiums. But if it's not, if those great stories and there are many others are not told to the fans via the mm-hmm. media, and I'm talking major media, I'm talking CBS, ESPN, and you know, you know, NBC Sports, etc. Sure. Then it's like, is a tree fall? It's like a tree falling in a forest, and no one's there to hear it. So mm-hmm. if I put my pressure point is on the media because I believe these stories are great and important and need to be told, and the major media, need, it, it, for whatever reasons, have not told them to the extent that I think that they're, they're – and I think that they're making a mistake because I think their audience would find it interesting. Do you talk about yeah. the economic advantages of being green in your blog? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Could, and, you, could, you in, could you enhance that discussion? Well, so – so, for example, one of uh, probably the best known uh, example, the, the most widely known example of you know the sports greening movement is that the National Hockey League uh, now is just about to embark on the fourth year of its carbon neutral, its fourth carbon neutral season. Um, and what does that mean? That means that uh, for all of the uh, for all of the emissions that the NHL controls, both direct and indirect, so the emissions of the uh, you know the thirty arenas and at their training facilities, and then the transportation of the players and staff to and from games and so forth, um, and to an extent they're also for their supply chains. The, the NHL, uh, is, you know, let's say they had a, emissions of X over time. They're trying to reduce those emissions uh, significantly. And then whatever they can't completely reduce or eliminate, they offset through carbon credit purchases and co- carbon offsets, which is a pretty big deal. Now, why would they do this? Well, there, you know, there's a, heritage of hockey being played outdoors on frozen ponds in places like, you know, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and Bemidji, Minnesota. And that is the the stated reason. And it is, I'd say, the main reason. But another big reason is that energy efficiency saves money. And the NHL has, and there's 30, you know, teams in the U.S. and Canada and they're interested in saving money, these owners and the people who run the teams. Also, there is a revenue generation uh, part to this because they are selling sponsorships. Uh, Constellation is their energy partner, and they are the company that is managing the offsets and the renewable energy credits and also doing the energy efficiency work at uh, most, if not all, of the arenas. So 
they are on the one hand saving money by becoming more energy efficient and they are gaining revenue by sponsorship and you know less proven but maybe over the long haul uh you know will be a knock-on effect is that they'll get more loyal or perhaps more fans people who care about it um but those first two things are big reasons those first two are the big reasons as to why the NHL is, is going this way, aside from the, you know, the fact that the outdoor hockey season is being curtailed by climate change effects. Well, I noticed that. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go I, I, I noticed that, for example, ski season has changed a lot. Oh, my gosh. Well, the this, ski this, industry. The, so they so the winter sports industry. Uh, yes. In terms of where I say, oh, they're not talking about it enough. Okay, the winter sports industry, especially the snow sports industry, they're all over it. And there, and, and this is one where the athletes themselves are getting involved. And we can talk about eco-athletes and perhaps a relative lack of them. But in the snow sports world, in fact, they have a group called POW or Protect Our Winters, which is, you know, made up of elite. We're talking Olympians and World Cup champions and in various skiing and Nordic, uh, you know, alpine and Nordic skiing and, and, uh, and snow and snowboarding and things like that. And they are, they're a big force, in, you know, in the U.S., Canada, and globally. So in terms of innovation, you know, aside from like the NHL chopping up all the ice and putting in everybody's mixed drinks at the end of the season, what are the innovations that you actually see that are surprising to you? Well, you know the 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 innov- what I see is is that there that I can't say I can't say that that the sports industry it's has been the innovator in say a clean tech technology or but what I do think is is innovative is the way they employ the technologies that have been developed you know in other for other industries or by other industries so for example you know the 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 Cleveland Indi- the Cleveland Indians and now uh, the New York Yankees and and some other stadiums have anaerobic digesters, which, you know, basically provide, for lack of a better term, on-site composting of, you know, the, of, of the front of house, the food that, you know, the food waste that the fans, that the fans, uh, create is composted, not all of it, but some of it on-site by these high-tech anaerobic digester, uh, products. And uh, you are also seeing, um, I mean, where do you see innovation? And actually, one really cool innovation, one cool area where the technology is, you know, being developed for the sports world is, is in the motorsports industry. There is a, you know, you know, Formula One, right? Right, sure. The, uh, right. Well, yeah, now now there's Formula E. Formula E is an electric vehicle open wheel uh racing circuit that now i believe is four or five years old and they had um they're they're all over the world and they are you know they're getting 
big time drivers and they're Richard Branson is one of the investors in one of the teams. Right. They're getting big investors yeah. and they in right. fact had a big, uh, two race weekend, uh, event in Brooklyn, um, where the cars were just humming very quietly, but going very fast. And I think 30,000 people showed up. How fast can um, a formula E car go? It, goes about 125 at this point and the range i want to say is 200 miles i might be a little bit off on 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 some of those numbers but not by much How did they so it's not the, it's not as fast as the formula one and they don't go as far but it's further than they went three or four years ago and faster than they went right three or four years ago well technology's getting better and as it gets better right. You know, it's going to get faster. Trust me. It's just we, we only have history a, has it. We only have a minute Actually, left. We only have a minute and, left and, in the segment. Just to so you know, go ahead. Okay, I got one other really cool story mm -hmm. uh, on innovation, and this is from an eco athlete. His name is Matthew Flamini. He's uh, he played for Arsenal uh, soccer and other and big clubs in Europe, and also the French national mm -hmm. team. While doing that, he and a buddy developed. A bio, uh, a biomass company, kind of on the sly, that now wow. is that is uh, bringing to market a, a an innovation, uh, like a, a major innovation in the biomass world. Wow! And he did this completely wow. on the sly. All right. So I got this, some good stories. So there's an innovative story for you right there. <laughs> I, this is Richard Solomon, Antonio Sayon, and our special guest, Lou Blaustein, greensportsblog.com. We have to take a quick break. Keep it right here. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Jeff Matson, the Dark Star Orchestra, and you're listening to Richard Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. Richard Solomon and Antonio Seant welcoming you back to Taking Care of Business and Rocket Green Radio with our guest, Lou Blaustein from greensportsblog.com. And we're talking about sustainability in sports. Now, Blue, you, you talk about all kinds of sports, professional, uh, amateur, uh, indoor, outdoor, <laughs> wet, dry, cold, <laughs> the whole bit, right? Everything. You got it. All you right. got it. And it's not, and it's all, and we, cover it the world the world over yeah you did didn't you do a story on on a woman recently that did a, a whole uh she was like head of uh, being sustainable in the in the olympics like the stadium didn't you do oh, yeah. a story on well, we've I, written I, about we, we've we've covered the, the the i i i call it um the mega sports events uh which right. are the olympics and the World Cup are the two biggest mega sports events. And then there's the, you know, the Super Bowl, um, the Rugby World Cup, mm -hmm. but let's just say the Soccer World Cup and, and the Olympics are, are, you know, they have audiences in the billions, right? And so. Right, right. The Olympics, uh, the Olympic, the Olympic movement has been greening itself, um, for quite some time with the London Olympics 2012 being kind of the, the high watermark in terms of, of sustainability of, of the entirety of the Olympic uh, footprint, the Olympic village, the way that they uh, 
dealt with waste, the way that they dealt with transportation. Um, London 2012 was kind of the the high watermark. Um, then you had Sochi in Russia in 2014, not so good. Rio, you had some serious problems that were well documented in terms of environmental uh, problems with the you know the bodies of water where the sailing and the boating, uh, the rowing were happening, but they also did some very good things there. And they did at the opening ceremonies of the Rio Games, which was viewed by over a billion people worldwide, they did a seven to eight minute vignette within the opening ceremonies on climate change, which was seen by a billion people. So that was the biggest thing. I think I recently, the interview you're, you're probably referring to is I talked to the woman who is running sustainability for the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, uh, uh, South Korea, and 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 the really interesting uh, the, the the many interesting things they're doing there sustainability wise, including uh, a massive use of electric vehicles, including electric buses, which are are really new to the marketplace, and they're going to be. Um, they're going to be pioneered in, in Pyeongchang. Wow, that's excellent. Excellent. One question that I have is, you know, the Olympics always move the cities around. And is that a sustainability problem, always having a city and then re, re, rebuilding the city? I, 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 mean, I, I know, you know it creates that's... jobs and all this other stuff, but is that a problem? I think you're on to something there. I actually, uh, you know, yes, in my view, um, <laughs> I, I think that, and, and I actually think that the Olympic movement is getting it if, in part for environmental sustainability reasons, but even more so for financial sustainability reasons. Why do I say that? Be, uh, well, look, in they just announced, or they recently announced that, for the first time ever, they awarded two Olympic Games at once. In cons- the 2024 Olympics went to Paris, and the 2028 uh, Summer Olympics are going to Los Angeles. And what do both of those cities have in common? Uh, they both have hosted two Olympics before. And so that means they have infrastructure uh that exists and they don't, I mean, both of their big selling points were that they don't, they don't have to build new stuff. And that was appealing because a lot of taxpayers and a lot of cities don't want huge expenditures to go to, to build Olympic facilities. That is a huge driver of, of, of this going, of going back to places where the Olympics have already been. And then, Mm -hmm. Um, in the same token, uh, there is the environmental sustainability aspect of it. You don't have to, you know, expend all this carbon to build all this new stuff. And actually, I should also mention that 2022 in the Winter Games is going to Beijing. Now you're saying, wait, Beijing never hosted a Winter Olympics. That's true. But they did host the Summer Olympics in 2008. And so, some of those venues from 08 are going to be transformed into winter venues for 2022. And so I, I think not by design, 
but by necessity, your question about you know going to new places all the time is actually being answered in the the way we would want them to answer it. Well, one one insight I guess that I seem to always ask is okay. You have all this building activity, so there's all this investment. The Olympics are not really known as being a real money maker. And then you have all this infrastructure left over. And then they say, yeah, but, we'll, but we're going to use it. Is all of the venues that are built, the hotels and the arenas and all the other things that they make, do they ever really get used to a full extent in the aftermath of the, of the Olympics by, by the, the local the, people? The, the, local track record isn't, the track record isn't great. Um, and again, that is just that is getting us back to that place of that's why they're going back to Paris and Los Angeles because in those places they've, I mean, those facilities have been around, you know, the last time the Olympics were in Paris was like what, 1920 something. Obviously they're using some more modern facilities than that, but that, you know, they have a big time sporting infrastructure there. Los Angeles is, you know, they had the Olympics there in 1984. So, uh, but if you go back, 2016 Rio. I mean, they built a golf course in Rio. Very few people play go- play golf. Um, they built so- soccer stadiums for the World Cup in Rio, which was in 2014, just two years before the Olympics. Not in Rio, in Brazil, all throughout Brazil. Mm-hmm. And some of those stadiums are in places that are impossible to get to, and they'll n- never be used. Uh, 2012 London. That's an example of where the facilities are being used, both the sporting facilities. The Olympic Village is now, uh, I believe, affordable housing there. Um, there's a lot of development in the area where mm-hmm. the Olympic Village was and the main Olympic Stadium wa- uh, was, which was not a big residential area before. So 2012 London is an example of one that worked. Um, you know, Athens 20, 2004, no, not good. Sydney 2000, definitely problems. Atlanta for all of the, you know, criticism of crass commercialism that was there. The Atlanta facilities, I think, have been, Atlanta's Olympic footprint has been pretty well, uh, you know, kind of adapted to the city of Atlanta post the games. So, you know, I'd say mixed, mixed reaction there. Yeah. So let me ask you a question about, uh, Richard, let me ask uh, him a question about golf. Um, because a lot of golf courses, um, and I read this and I have friends that always complain they're, when it comes to being sustainable, uh, a lot of golf places are saying that they're sustainable, but then they waste, I'm not going to say waste because they water the grass, you know, to keep it green, but it's a lot of water they're using. It's, 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 you're talking about gallons every day. And there are people that are saying that, um, that's ridiculous. Um, it's a waste of water. Um, because, you know, especially California, at that time there, there was a shortage. And, you know, they're wasting water, a lot of it. So how did you get around that? Because, um, I had consultants say that they should put artificial turf on the areas that you don't hit a golf ball, <laughs> you know, okay. and keep, keep the, you know, when you, wherever they're playing golf, 
uh, and wherever the balls are, the, you know, the holes are, that's where the grass should be. Because you can't play golf on artificial turf. There is a difference. You know. Could I add to that? Your drive would go a heck of yeah, a sure. lot longer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, the other. The, well, the, the the question for me, in addition to Antonio's very insightful comment, is the use of all the pesticides and weed killers. Um, you know, a lot of golf courses have water, and then they have mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, birds and things like that, and they do all these things to control, uh, you know, bird activity, weed activity. Uh, you know, they use artificial fertilizers and things like that, and that can't really be great for groundwater. Um, no, so, so there's there's two so there's two different uh, two parts to what you guys were saying, and mm-hmm. these are really good topics that are related. But I'll treat them separately for just for for a second. First, in terms of you know, in terms of water use, and in terms of golf as you know, as a sustainable an environmentally sustainable sport, it's you know it's. It, it's always going to be problematic because of the massive use of water um, to, to to just be able to keep the grass green and to keep the fairway beautiful and 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 all of that. That said, there is so so you know if we're in a in a you know, a climate changed world 50, 100 years down the road, and who knows what, what golf will look like. But in the world that we have Scuba. now, <laughs> right, yeah. in, the, in the world that we have now, in the world that we have now, there are movements afoot to make golf less environmentally taxing. How about that? So there's a, a, a group called Golf Environment organization which is based out of not surprisingly scotland and they have created a a sustainability sustainable golf kind of um toolkit for course superintendents both you know from the you know municipal courses all the way to the you know the most fancy country clubs and the courses that are used for pga tour events the uh the pga of America, which is separate from the PGA tour, the tour is, you know, like Jordan Spieth and those people, the PGA of America are the club professionals. They are, uh, they have a sustainability initiative and then getting to the other question about pesticides and pollutants, um, which is a big concern as part of these sustainability movements, there is a huge education going on amongst course superintendents to go to low or no pesticide uh, golf course management. And this is actually taking shape, uh, in bo- uh, taking hold in the U.S. and in, in Europe as well, and at some top courses. Um, the most notable that is uh, operated in such a manner is uh, Chambers Bay, which I believe hosted the 2015 or 16 U.S. Open out in the Seattle area. And, uh, you know, I would love it to be able to write a story that Augusta National was going this way and that then Jim Nance would say a tradition unlike any other sustainable golf on a Sunday. But that hasn't happened yet, but that's just on my wish list. Which 
sporting events have the greatest distance to catch up? Um, it seems like golf is on that list. Golf but is on else? that list. I mean, you know, it, it, it's funny. NASCAR, which actually NASCAR has NASCAR green, but uh, which is doing a lot of cool things uh, in the auto racing world. And there is a lot going on in three of the biggest of the four biggest solar uh, uh, stadiums or sports venues in the world are, are rate are auto racing venues that said, and that's because they're so big, but that said, I mean, auto racing, you think golf is, has got environmental issues. How about auto racing? Um, so I would say they have the biggest distance to travel both, um, in terms of the sport that they, the, the sport itself. And then also, you know, I, the, the and getting the fan base to care about this but i give nascar credit with nascar green um for a good first and maybe even second steps um but they have a long way to go um i would say that among the major let's say five pro sports in the u.s meaning baseball football basketball hockey soccer i'll put soccer in there um it, the, the NFL has the longest way to go, even though they've gone. Uh, the, the Super Bowl has been carbon neutral for for a decade or more, and now they're doing the same thing with the NFL draft. Uh, the league is not yet in the Green Sports Alliance, um, and I they they I don't sense that sustainability at the league level is a big deal, and the league has huge other problems and issues that they're dealing with, but, you know, you got to walk and chew, you know, issues, gum at the same time. And I think that they haven't yet. Whereas if you look at the national hockey league, they have a guy, his job is sustainability. That's like, well, does it, does does it help the NHL that they're just smaller? It helps the NA. I think really what it helps with the NHL is it, it goes back to the outdoor pond hockey. I know. I mean, it comes down from Gary Bettman, the commissioner. He sees that that's the heritage of the sport, and uh, and that that heritage is being uh, frittered away. Um, Major League Baseball has, uh, from when Bud Selig was the commissioner, he was actually one of the early, uh, you know, top sports executives who really got into this going back, I want to say 2004. So uh, more than a decade. And so baseball from the major league level is doing a lot. And basketball is, is uh, especially um, under the new commit, relatively new commissioner, Adam Silver is, is doing quite a bit. So um, major league soccer, not so much. Um, Now, even with what we only have a minute, so we'll, even with my criticism on the NFL, there are teams six or seven that are doing great things. They have solar in the parking lot, solar on the roof. The you know the the 49ers Levi Stadium is lead certified gold. The new Falcon Stadium is uh, going for lead platinum. So there are certain teams that are doing great things. But right. your question was about the league, so I 
that's where I went. I so we will we will break right here, but everybody keep it on hold because we'll be right back. Richard Solomon, Antonio Sayant, and Lou Blaustein, greensportsblog.com. We'll be right back. Hi, this is the great Sordini. You're listening to Richard Solomon on 88.1 FM WCWP. Welcome back. Richard Solomon, Antonio Sayant, and Lou Blaustein, greensportsblog.com. So, Lou, during the break, you were talking about some really cool stuff, and you said you had some great stories to share. So why don't we pick it up right here? Okay, great. Thanks. One is a story about a green sports startup that goes back to conversation from the first segment about innovation. And this is a company in the athletic apparel market from Australia that is trying to become, in their words, the under armor of sustainable athletic apparel. The company is called Kusaga, K with a K, K-U-S-A-G-A, athletic. And what they do is they make uh, running, tennis, and cycling attire, right now shirts, and then they will be making uh, uh, shorts and, and pants, mm-hmm. and also some at, uh, active wear, so stuff that you can wear out, you know, out on the on, out on the town, not while you're playing sports. But it's all the the, the material is made from a mix of bamboo. It's eucalyptus, linen, and um, and a couple of other like materials, and it so it is completely biodegradable. It is completely recyclable, and the touch and feel is 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 like any is as good as an Under Armour uh, piece of clothing, and the life cycle of it is longer. And further, what they are wow. it, what they are doing is creating a system that because it is one hundred percent upcyclable or reusable. So when you're done with it, you send it back to the company and they degrade it to its original form and then make another shirt. So it's a complete cradle to cradle company. That's a fascinating Saga story. Athletic. That's a fascinating story. Okay, what was the other one? Okay, so the other one is about the greenest team in sports. And similarly, I'm hearkening back again to the innovation story. And when I think of innovation in any any walk of life or the innovation topic, you know, it's where do the great innovations come from? They don't always come from the biggest companies. They come from, you know, Bill Gates or, 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 or um, you know, Steve Jobs in some garage inventing something, and then they become a big company. Okay, so I'm, some of the great inventions or innovations in green sports are coming from minor league sports. And so now I'm going to take you to the fourth tier of English soccer. Um, so the, you know, what would be the equivalent of like low minor leagues in baseball in this you know, town in the middle of nowhere, which might be the equivalent of, you know, Peoria, Illinois, but in England. And there's a little team called Forest Green Rovers. And they were in financial uh, distress about 2009, 2010. And a local 
businessman bought them. Well, the guy, the business that he was in was in solar and wind. And, and he saved the team from going under. But he said as, con- as, um, as a condition of his ownership, he's going to make this team in the image of his company called Ecotricity, and he's going to make the greenest sports team in the world. And he's gone out and done that. Now, what does that mean tangibly? Well, he has put solar panels on the roof, which, you know, that's on many stadiums, but this is like a 5,000-seater small minor league ball uh, soccer stadium. He provides electric vehicles to his players, but again, these are low minor league players, so the electric vehicles may well be worth more than what they're paid in salary. The, the field is mowed by what's called a solar-powered MOBOT. So it's a robot lawnmower that's powered by solar that's on top of the MOBOT, which is very cool. But the, the coolest thing of all, and the most, what initially was controversial, is that the only food at all the concession stands and on the training table, all they serve is vegan food. So imagine vegan food at like at, at a giants football game only. And you would think that there would be an uproar about this and there was, but then the fans started to see that the food was tasty and good. And they also started to see that this green branding was giving this team in the low minor leagues a kind of a unique hook and was getting it attention. And it's actually turned out to be very successful. And the team, not to get into the inner, inner workings of English soccer, but they have systems of relegation and promotion. So if you, do, if you finish at the top of your league, you move up to the next level above. Well, they moved up this past season from the fifth tier to the fourth tier for the first time in like the 125 year history of the team. <laughs> and, um, and it's a big deal. And so now they're getting, so this got covered by ESPN did a story on them. The New York times did a story on them and the New Yorker did a story on them after we did a story on them. So Not you, to you got the scoop. You got the scoop. Got the scoop. Yep. Well, Richard, he, Richard, that's the, uh, you should ask, uh, uh, Louis, the question that we had, uh, you know, yesterday we were talking about it, about the food, so, you know, because my, my yeah. stink was always, um, what is a hundred percent sustainable or what is sustainable? Let's say in a football game, in your point of view. And then Richard, you jump in, you, well, I, you I always say, about- look at the food that's sold at arenas at concerts, sporting events, whatever. It's always like, you know, not, not the, to trash the food specifically, but it's always sugary, carby, you know, not, not really plant-based foods, uh, highly processed foods, highly salty foods. Um, you know, you, you think that, you know, the, the teams that are hosting want to keep their fans live longer <laughs> so they can be yeah. live. When, you know, when you have lifetime tickets to, you know, you really want those people to keep coming back. And, you know, what, what's being done to make the food two things, either more sustainable, but if they make it more sustainable, I have a feeling it would be more healthy. Uh, because if you look at the things that they sell, it's, it's largely empty calories. Yeah, I think, I, well, I, I think the, the, obviously the, the, the forest green rovers example that I just talked about is the, 
pièce de résistance. That's the that's you know at the at the high end of the spectrum, and I don't know that there's anybody else that's doing that. Um, I would love if there is. Write me at greensportsblog.com, and I'll write about it. Um, I do believe, uh, and this is anecdotal to an extent, but also uh, something that I've observed is that there are there is definitely a movement towards more healthy items on menus at stadiums and arenas. That doesn't mean that the unhealthy items are going away. They're not. But it just means that they're adding healthier items. And this is true. I've seen it at Yankee Stadium. I'm in New York, but I've also seen it at Minute Maid Field in, in Houston. And I've seen it at Soldier Field in Chicago. And I've seen it at college sports events. So it's, it, it's, it's happening, but it's happening kind of in a, in a rolling way, meaning it's, you know, it's not overnight. Um, but it is happening. And then you also have some really forward thinking teams like the San Francisco 49ers. And I hate to say it, the Red Sox, because I'm not a Red Sox fan, but they, uh, they are growing, uh, produce on their roofs. And then they are using that produce that they have grown also at, um, at, uh, the Staples Center in, um, not the Staples Center, the Home Depot Center where the LA Galaxy soccer team plays. And they are using this, the produce that they grow in the food service in the stadium. So that is healthy. And, lo- is and local. Local. And local. And, sure. yep. And, the, and so there is, there is, mo- there, there are these movements afoot, but, you know, it, at some point, the quite, you'll know that there'll be real, change in this arena in this arena pun intended when they crowd out some of the really lousy food options that hasn't happened yet this right now is additive but maybe that's the first first step because if you notice if, if if the change in food could occur then the food at theme parks beaches you know which is kind of the same genre of food um maybe that can change a little bit and then it, it, it'll be better for the health of all of us. It'll be better for our medical profiles. It'll actually keep people living longer and better. And uh, it would also be much better for the environment all at the same time. Absolutely. And, and the one thing I will say about sports in general, as compared to uh, all levels of entertainment, sports still... It, with all the fragmentation going on, whether it be television, music, even in, in movies, you know, all the different uh, genres and, and ways you can c- consume uh, entertainment sports, even though there's been erosion in its audience, relative to every other form of entertainment, sports is, is, has held it. And uh, even with, you know, cord cutting on cable and, and, you know, all the other trends that are, that are kind of making it difficult for sports, sports still is the convener of humanity. You know, that's why you have the Olympics and the World Cup things, uh, you know, countries stop when World Cup games are played. 
And so what this blog is trying to do and the green sports movement more broadly beyond my blog is trying to do is say, okay, how can we use sports as a platform for environmental action, for uh, you know, raising uh, awareness of and action about the climate issue and, and other environmental issues? That, you know, uh, the, 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 there's the, the line that uh, Alan Hershkowitz, who was the founder of the Green Sports Alliance, famously says in all of his talks, something like 13% of Americans care about science. 75% of Americans care about sports. How do we get the 75% to care a little bit more about science, in this case, environmental and climate? So I have a, a question along the levels of science and sports. What do we do with all those pool chemicals? You know, we're talking about the Olympics. We're talking about, uh, you know, recreation, entertainment. There's a lot of pool chemicals used out there. And yeah. I, I can't imagine that all the chlorine and all the things that the chlorine, bromine, all the things that they use, the anti-algae agents. I can't imagine what? that in the long run that that, that material is, is good. I don't think it's you good. Know, for the that, sw- it's not good for the swimmers. I don't think it's you know your no, eyes burn no. when you're in the pool for a reason. You know. Yeah, I have not. That's one area that I have not delved into. But you know, swimming is depending on which study that you look at is the third or fourth most popular sport in the world. So it's a. It, um, it is an issue. I just—it's not something that I that I can talk intelligently about. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, anything that is—if there is a more natural way of doing it rather than a, a chemical that can have side effects—that's the better environmental option. Well, I know that they have saltwater pools, but I'm sure that that if you're not near an ocean, <laughs> you get a saltwater pool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think there's also. Because there are it's salt water, but there's uh, I, I think there it's a more challenging to maintain from what I understand. Because but again, I'm, this is not my area of expertise. I'm sure the salt is. is corrosive and everything. Believe me. No, but it is. It's just like having a you know some people when they uh, you know they have fish that lives in salt water to maintain it. It's actually very hard. So the same thing would work as a pool. Same thing. So, yep, it is. It takes a very long time, and it's tedious. So, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I've gone away to Aruba, and they have saltwater pools, and uh, as opposed to chlorine. Well, you uh, guys have given me another area of inquiry. Now I got to, <laughs> now, now now I'm going to I'm you're going to be seeing a green sports blog column on on on, on swimming pools. Well, it, as so, long so as we get the credit you. for so raising the question. <laughs> so in the 3 minutes that are left in this fabulous show, fast moving of course, what what is the other topics or insights that we didn't cover that you're you're that if we hung up the phone and you look back, you oh, I should have talked about this. Um, is there anything you want to add to uh, the stories, the insights, the questions, the innovations, the trends, the challenges? Well, one one thing that I I I, uh, I think deserves mention is the innovations happening in in the college sports world 
in the United States. And, you know, big-time college athletics is a uniquely American thing. It does not exist anywhere else in the world um, to an extent in Canada, but nothing like here. And the the college sports are greening, and I think that's going to be the first place where you're actually going to see where the stories of greening are going to, actually come onto your television screen, which I think is the big, the big thing. That's the big step in sports greening. Green Sports 1.0, the greening of stadiums, lead certified, recycling, all of that, that's happening. That's, that's like expected now. But Green Sports 2.0 is, this, is getting the story to the masses of people that don't go to games but watch them on TV or on the Internet or on their computer. And college sports, which has a cadre of idealistic students, and they study sustainability, many of them, they have green teams that go to the tailgate areas and help collect uh, waste from tailgates and turn them into recycling and composting. Those are going to be great stories on college sports broadcasts about, you know, kind of uplifting stories, and college sports can certainly use that. So I think if you're going to look for a place where, you're going to, you sports fan watching at home are going to hear about this. It's going to be in college sports first. I'll tell you, we are, we are certainly the radio show of eco pioneers and we are very proud that you're a part of our eco pioneer family. Uh, Because, because it's good family to be in. Thank you for inviting me in. Because the truth is we have pioneers of all kinds, but you're our first journalistic pioneer. Uh, and that, well, that it, and it's a very important role because, like you said, getting that information out there, getting it to the seventy five percent that that love sports, but maybe not so much science, it, it's a great thing. So we we really applaud what you're doing. Um, our show is basically over, so we'll just leave it with Lou Blaustein, GreensportsBlog dot com. Thank you so much for being our guest. Uh, we loved every moment of it, and cool. for everyone listening Thank out you. there. We'll see you in a week. Thank you for listening, as always.